turn to page 628, sing along there. One day we will see him face to face because he loved us. Amen. Amen. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, he loved us. What an amazing thing. Amen. 628. We'll dismiss Junior Church on the fourth verse. Amen. I stand amazed in the presence of
Well, amen. amen. Beautiful singing. Amen. amen. My heart was stirred. Thank you so much. Well, again, it's a blessing to be here. And uh, Brother Brandon, thank you so much for your hospitality. Amen. And it's good to meet Brother Randy Hills. We've amen. talked on the phone, communicated for, oh goodness, almost three two, years. three years now. Good to meet him and his dear wife. And Miss Sarah's brother, where did he go? Okay, Jeffrey's church and her family. Miss Sarah's been a blessing to our church. Amen. She, she has a servant's heart. Amen. And anything she can do to help. She comes early every Wednesday night and helps clean. And uh, she goes on visitation, every visitation, every outreach. The veterans, we have a veteran's home military veteran home in our town, pretty large facility, and her and Brother Jake take care of that on uh, the Saturdays that we're there, Amen. and she works in the kitchen at youth camps, and she's just a blessing. Amen. She's, she's almost become irreplaceable, and we're thankful for her. Brother Randy, she's a blessing, and a reflection of her, her raising. Amen. Amen. So we're Glad to meet them. Good to see you. Meet so met a lot of folks before church. It's a blessing to be here. Amen. Even got a picture here of this. My wife said, "Where did where did you get? Where they get that picture?" <laughs> I said, "I sent it to them." <laughs> Amen. This is suitable for framing or farming. <laughs> Amen. You need a scarecrow. Put it on a stick like that out of your garden. Everything's good. Amen. Anyway, do y'all know these people? The rings? Y'all know them? We met them just the other day. I was in a meeting with Brother Ring in Alabama, and then um, I went to Mississippi, and he was there. And then I went to uh, Warrior, Alabama. He was there. I said, you're following me around. And uh, we were camped by each other at a camp meeting. And uh, But the rings are a blessing as well. And uh, Anyway, but she said, you be sure and tell my brother that I met you first. I said, that is not much of a distinction. We're nothing. We're no, we know today that we're nothing. Paul the Apostle begins not a whit behind the chiefest of the apostles. And as the work of grace begins to take root in his heart, he's, he says, I am nothing. And he becomes the chiefest of sinners. Amen. The closer you get to God and his light, his searching light, the more imperfection you will see in yourself. Amen. Amen. And so who is sufficient for these things? Goodness. We're like this right here. Your body is a, called a vessel. It's a vessel for service. And it's called a temple. It's a temple for worship. But it has to be brought under subjection. 
and submission. Amen. It, the deeds of the flesh have to be mortified by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Nobody preaches about mortification much anymore. But this, this plastic bottle, it's not worth it. But I tell you what's on the inside. Amen. So we're nothing, but boy, what's on the inside? Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. God's, God has done a work in us. You know, if you have anything virtuous in your life today, I, I don't care what it is, you cannot take the credit for it. It did not arise out of your own heart or your own nature. If there's any virtuous thing about you, it came from your relationship with him. Amen. What hast thou, thou didst not receive? Amen. 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 Brother Matt, thank you for your hospitality. We spent the day with uh, Brother Matt and Mrs. Holly yesterday. I've known these, they're just kids to me. I can't help it. I've known them so long, but now they're, well, it's obvious they're no longer kids. What a blessing Brother Matt has been to me through the years. Miss Holly, I've known her family for, goodness, Brother Jim Boss, her sisters, Miss Stephanie, and y'all know Brother Nate? Yeah. Stephanie. Nate is my, let's see, what is he to me? We're related. <laughs> we didn't marry cousins or nothing like that. Let's see, his grandfather's my uncle. So, and if he was a woman, he'd be my aunt. <laughs> anyway, my first cousin, Nate's his son, so Nate would be my second cousin. They all called me Uncle David, but anyway, we have a very close relationship. And Miss Stephanie, she's a, she's a blessing. You all know those people. They're a blessing, but thank you again. That's enough foolishness. Turn to Psalm 50. <laughs> Psalm 50. Is it okay to laugh in church? Oh, yeah. Amen. Boy, I tell you, we're hurting if we're not laughing sometimes. Amen. Amen. Psalm 50. Let's begin reading. I'm going to continue with the subject we began with in Sunday school this morning, Amen. Lord willing. And let's begin in verse 1. We read these couple of verses. We'll pray and Get the message. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your blessings to us. We're not worthy of the least of thy mercies. I'm thankful, Lord, for all you've done in our lives. And we bow before you today and we give you the glory and the praise, not just for what you've done, but for who you are. And we desire, Lord, to magnify you here today and lift you up and you to get all the glory and, and the praise that you deserve. Praise you today, Lord. Thank you. We bow before you. We just praise your holy name for everything you are. So have your way in our midst. I pray the Holy Spirit will come and speak to every heart. And Lord, deal with us personally and individually. If there's any unsaved among us, I pray for the conviction of the Holy Ghost in their heart. Lord, they'll see their need of a Savior. They'll come and the invitation trust you. And God, speak to your people. Will thou not revive us again, Amen. that thy people may rejoice in thee? We'll give you the glory for what you do, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Psalm 51, the Psalm of Asaph, one of David's musicians. 
It says, The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Verse 2 is what I want to look at. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. There are three words in verse 2 that are joined together. Perfection, beauty, and God. God is the perfection of beauty. Amen. 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 You know, Isaiah in his prophecy in Isaiah 53, when he describes the root out of a dry ground, the arm of the Lord, yes. the Lord Jesus in prophecy, this is what he says about him. There's no beauty in him that we should desire. He's not talking about physical beauty. I don't believe that. I don't believe the Lord was an ugly man. Moses mentions this beauty. Turn with me to Psalm 90 while you're close. Psalm 90, verse 17. And the Bible says, and, and listen, here, this is the way I pray. If you're waiting for an outline, you're not going to get one. I'm sorry. People, you know, they want a point. Give me a point. You know, I don't have any point. And, uh, but I'll, we're just going to deal with Scripture, all right? Amen. And the Bible says, prove all things. Prove it. That's what we do with Scripture. Amen. And when, you, when you prove it, hold fast that which yes, is good. Amen. Grab the hold on. Don't turn it loose. Look at verse 17 of Psalm 90. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. The beauty of the Lord. The Bible mentions the perfection of beauty in connection with God. Here it mentions the beauty of the Lord. David mentions again, look at Psalm 27, verse 4. Again, he mentions this same subject, Psalm 27. And look with me, Will, in verse 4, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. God has a beauty. It's mentioned in these references. Would you agree? Amen. Amen. And uh, Moses desired for God's beauty to be upon us. David desired to behold it. And our text says that Zion's perfection was because of his perfection. It's where he shined. And it called that the beauty of the Lord, the perfection of beauty. Amen. Amen. Uh, I read this quote many years ago that stuck in my heart. Never, never left my heart. It's so true. But the writer said, omniscience is God's eye. And everyone knows the passage in Proverbs 15. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. That speaks of God's knowledge. And uh, his, his omnipresence is illustrated by his eye. He sees, he knows, he's everywhere beholding everything. He's there, he sees, he knows. Omniscience is God's eye. Omnipotence is a Bible word in Revelation 19. Omnipotence is his arm. The Bible speaks of uh, the creation of the stars. It says it's the work of God's fingers. But in salvation, it's the strength of the arm of the Lord. Isaiah 53, the Lord is called the arm of the Lord. So omnipotence is his arm. 
but his beauty is his holiness. Amen. Amen. Four times in God's word we find this mentioned. Quickly turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. When you get there, say amen. So I'll know we can start moving on. How many is turning with me? Hear the rustling of the pages. 1 Chronicles 16. Look at verse 29. The Bible says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. And here, look at this last phrase in verse 29. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Holiness is God's beauty. And holiness is beautiful to God. Amen. 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 Uh, what did Solomon say about this virtuous woman in Proverbs 31? What did he say? Beauty is vain. He's speaking of physical beauty. Amen. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Yeah. That's the beauty of holiness. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I'll tell you, there's nothing, there's nothing as sanctified as a godly woman. Amen. Thank God for godly women. Amen. 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 Let me show you something else. Second Chronicles 20, while we're here, Second Chronicles 20 and verse 21. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21, the Bible says, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that, and that should praise the beauty of holiness, as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. That, that should praise the beauty of holiness. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Praise the beauty of holiness. Amen. Psalm 29, 2 is the third reference. Listen with me. Listen carefully. I'll read the passage. If you don't have a Bible, you can listen. Amen. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 29, verse 2. Amen. There's one other, Psalm 99, verse 6, or 96, verse 9. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. We are to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Yeah, and amen. one passage says we praise the beauty of holiness. That's what it says. Amen. Amen. Holiness. Do you know men despise it? Men despise holiness. When, a, when Paul talks to the Thessalonians about their sanctification and knowing how to possess your uh, vessel in sanctification and honor, that's to honor God, he says in that context, he therefore that despiseth, despiseth not men but God. They're despising the holiness of God. Men despise it. Amen. But the Lord is holy. I mentioned that in Sunday school. This passage I quoted is Exodus 15, 11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? The Lord's glory is his holiness. And how can unholy creatures understand the perfection and the beauty of holiness? Men cannot understand this chief attribute of God, so what do they do? They change it. They change it. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1, verse 23. Romans chapter 1. Now hang on with me. Let me load my wagon here. We'll make an application of this, Lord willing. You might not like it when we do, but we will. 
Romans chapter 1. Everyone knows what this chapter deals with. And uh, I'll get there in a second. Romans 1, look with me, verse 23. I'm, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all of this. But the Bible says in verse 23, these are these foolish people, change the glory and change the glory of the uncorruptible God. What is an uncorruptible God? It's a holy God. And the Bible says they change, here, change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. You see that? They changed God. Look at verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. They changed God. They changed the truth. Listen. The glory of the incorruptible God is His holiness. Incorruptible means that you cannot be corrupted. God is holy, therefore He is incapable of being corrupted. He cannot sin. He cannot lie. And He never will. This is the only kind of beauty the Lord cares for, is the beauty of holiness. It's beautiful to Him. All of you, I mentioned this in the Sunday school, but there's celestial creatures God created. They're around the throne of God. And this is what they do day and night. It says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. We get to the Revelation in chapter 4, verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And in recognition of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in regards to each person of the Godhead, they proclaim their holiness. And listen, if the church would begin to magnify the holiness of God, they would be in tune with heaven. Because that's what they're doing there right now today is they are magnifying this perfection of God, His holiness, the perfection of beauty. Amen. Amen. You want to be beautiful to God? Now, I understand within ourselves none of us can be holy. We understand righteousness is imputed to us. God, God... Listen, God reckons us righteous when we trust His Son. And He imputes to us what our Lord did, everything. The life that He lived, the sacrifice that He made. It's all imputed to us. It's counted to us as righteousness. And we're made holy in the eyes of God. That's beautiful to the Lord. You know, Ecclesiastes Solomon said this in chapter 3, verse 11, He hath made everything beautiful in His time. Also He hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work of God that maketh, God maketh from the beginning to the end. Listen, God's going to make everything beautiful in His time. There's going to come a day, my friend, when everything's going to be holy, and everybody's going to be holy. We haven't got there yet. Well, we're headed in that direction. Let me show you something. Look at Zechariah chapter 14, if you would, right quick. Zechariah chapter 14. 
preaching about the perfection of beauty, the beauty of holiness. Zechariah, when you get there, say amen. amen. I'm not there yet with you, but I'm headed that way. Zechariah, let's see, that's in the Old Testament. Zechariah 14, look with me in verse 20. I understand this is a passage. It refers to a period of time that's yet to come, called we call the millennium yep. or the kingdom age. But still, let's make a spiritual application. Amen. All right? Look at verse 20. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. I mean, even on the horse, their bells on horses in the millennium that's coming when they're going to magnify the holiness of God. You see that? Amen. Look at this. Verse 21. Well, let's read the rest of it. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Verse 21. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in, Ju and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. How many ladies got a pot in your house? <laughs> well, someday, my friend, every pot in every woman's kitchen is going to have holiness unto the Lord on it. That's what it says, isn't it? Yep. And all they that sacrifice shall come in and take of them and shall see there. And in that day there shall be no more Canaan, the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Thank God for that. But my friend, someday everything is going to have holiness under the Lord on it. From the bells on the horses to the pots in a woman's house. Amen. You see that? Amen. That's coming. Amen. Well, let me make an application to that now. Can everything in your house be called holy? Well. Amen. What's in my house? There's something I might need to get rid of that would be offensive to the holiness of God. Amen? Amen. Come to 1 Peter 1.16, if you would. We're headed in that direction. 1 Peter 1.16. Everybody still with me? We okay? All right. Verse 16. I'm going to say this right quick if I could before I get here and I'll hurry along. You know, many years ago, when I first got saved, I was, it's been nearly 52 years ago. And, um, but I remember as a young Christian, I mean, goodness, I wasn't raised in church. I was not raised. I knew nothing about God, nothing. And one day in my life as an 18-year-old teenager, I was in the hippie generation. With all of that culture and that music and the, all of the drugs, all that stuff was so good. I'm not going to say much about that, but that's what I came up in. The music, I was always a musician, played music, all that stuff. Anyway, drawn to that. And just like a bolt out of the blue, conviction fell on me. What the Lord said about, about drawing all men, drawing all under, he did that in my Amen. life. First time ever even, first Brother Matt never thought about God. My family were not Christians. We went to church one time for three months, and the pastor of the church had an affair with my aunt and my dad's sister. And he came to visit us to see why we quit coming to church, and my dad cursed him out and throwed him off of our property and said, don't you ever come back here. And that was the extent of our church. I knew nothing. 
I tell you, conviction came on me as an 18-year-old teenager, and I knew there was a God, and I knew I was lost. And I knew that what I was was offensive to him. I was a sinner, and only God could show me that. Are you listening to me? And Man, I'm telling you, I got in church. I started... I, I went to church to try to find out what I needed. God, I'm looking, I'm stumbling around in the dark. I quit this, I quit that, I reformed my life. I I couldn't find any peace. So I asked my friend, take me to church with you. A friend of mine, I knew it went to church. He said, I'll take you. He carried me to church. We went to this Laodicean church in my community. And there was nothing, nothing there that compelled me draw near to what they had. I'll tell you, if that man had preached on tithing that day with the power of God, give the invitation, I believe I'd have got saved. That's how bad under conviction I was. And I went around like that for three months, stumbling around in the dark, and the Lord finally brought me to the light. My uncle got saved. He got me in his car. He'd been saved six months. He lived in, he lived in Atlanta. And he, we drove to the store. He's going to witness to me, best way he knew how. He drove me to the store. We got a snack. And on the way back, he looks over at me in his primitive way. He didn't know how to witness. He hadn't learned the Romans road or none of that yet. And he looks over at me, and he just simply says, Brother Brandon, has God been talking to you? And I said, yes, he has. Just simple as that. He said, I'll tell you what you need. I said, well, good, I've been trying to find out. He said, you need to be saved. The light came on. I mean, in here. That's it. That's what I've been looking for. He's carried me in the house. And my grandmother was a Christian, but she never witnessed to me. But I went in there, and my grandmother, he says to my grandmother, I, had, I preached her funeral when she was 100 years old. She, he says, Mother, David wants to be saved. And I was real close to my grandmother. I don't know why she never witnessed. My mother apologized for not witnessing. I didn't know my mother was saved. What's well, a shame, isn't it? But anyway, he said, Mother, David wants to be saved. And she commenced to shout. And so we made an altar out of her couch, and I was gloriously saved. And God began to work in my life. Amen. And uh, I didn't know everything I should do. Okay. So I started going to revivals and going to church. I moved to the Atlanta area to live with these Christians so they could help me in my Christian life, help me grow, join their church. And I tell you, God was in me. Moving, do this, go, go. I mean, you know what it's like when you first get saved. You're on cloud nine. About six months later, boy, God puts you back on the ground. You begin to learn. No shortcut for experience. And we got, we got into church and got going. And along comes these different preachers in my life. And they begin preaching things, and I'm listening. And God begins to work in my heart. And I begin to grow. Listen, first time I went to church, I had a long shag. My hair was cut in a long shag. How many know what a shag is? From seven. I had a long shag. First time I went. 
I had on button fly bell bottom blue jeans with Indian moccasins <laughs> on. I had on a belt with a peace sign on it. I had on a body shirt. How many knows what a body shirt was? I had on a body shirt, had a little Mickey Mouse all over the sleeve. Different color body, different color sleeve. You know what I'm talking about, the hippie clothes. That's the way I looked when I went into church. Everybody. And I stood up. I tell you, they begin to sing. This is the first Sunday I went to church. They begin to sing. And I'll tell you something begin to stir around in my heart. And I didn't understand everything. I didn't know nothing about the Holy Spirit. But I tell you, something moved me. And I jumped up in the middle of that service and I said, hold it. I just want to tell everybody here that I got saved Friday night. And they knew it hadn't been long by looking at me. Amen. And then I made the mistake of going to hear Brother Sammy Allen preach. And there I, there I was in that service with the long jag. And he preached from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and preached right at me. I mean, right, I was the only man in the building with long hair. Yeah. And he preached on long hair. <laughs> and here I'm isolated, to say the least. So I go back the next night, having stopped at the barber shop. There was 50 people in there. Couldn't get a haircut. I said, well, I'll get one tomorrow. And went back that night. Still had the long... Now he thinks I'm in rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> and he comes after me again. And I stood up again. Hold it. I mean, I didn't know. Don't interrupt the preacher. Hold it. I went to the barber shop and it was full. I'll have my hair cut the next time I come. Take it easy. That's the first experience of sanctification that I had was the hair. But listen to me, in all seriousness, there was a little church down the road and I went to hear Brother Reno, Dr. Reno Davis. Some of you have never heard of him, never known him. But he, I'm telling what a, what a preacher. He was an old man then. We were from the same town. I didn't know it. We met later on in life and became dear friends. He was uh, the director of the Berea Baptist Institute of Mission, had an orphanage in Haiti, and just did all kinds of mission work. Think about him almost. But I remember he preached on the power of God. He preached a whole week in this revival. And my wife and I went every night. And he preached on the Holy Ghost being filled with the Holy Spirit filling of the Spirit and your relationship with the Holy Spirit as a Christian. I didn't know any of that. And I went down on Friday night. They did not give an invitation until Friday night. And on Friday night, I went down there and I said, Lord, what this man has been preaching about, I want it. 
And I submitted myself to God the best way I could. I knew how. And I'm telling you right there in that altar, I could take you to the place. God filled me with the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, things begin to fall out of my life like the leaves on these trees in autumn. God began to move. And I remember that old man preaching. A little later on, I went and I heard at a camp meeting in Versica, Georgia, Dr. Ralph Sexton Sr. preaching on the holiness of God. The subject I preached about this morning. I'm not finished. And I rem- I'll never forget, he was magnifying God's holiness. He said, boys, if you'll get that book by Sharnock, he's talking about a common a Bible, a book about the Bible. He said, you'll glean it out. It'll teach you something about the holiness of God. And I tell you, God did something in my heart that night, Brother Blake, that pointed my life. That's two preachers that pointed my life in a different direction. The third time, I can remember these times distinctly when something changed my life, pointed it in a different direction from the pulpit. It came from the pulpit. From heaven through a man from the pulpit. The third time was Dr. James Crumpton. He was the pastor of the Baptist Church in Natchez, Mississippi, and he was the president of the Maranatha Baptist Mission. They had a mission board, and all of that's gone now. Did you ever hear Dr. Crumpton? Modern-day Spurgeon. And he preached about Mary Magdalene, like you sang this morning. And he said, Mary said, they've taken away my Lord. And I know not where they've led him. He preached on the love of Mary Magdalene. Out of whom, for the Lord. Out of whom he had cast seven devils. I'll tell you, one woman with one devil is enough. But this woman has seven devils. Don't you know she was a nice woman? But I tell you, God took that old devil-possessed woman, and he made her a weeping, loving saint. She loved the Lord. And he preached on loving the Lord supreme first, your first love. That changed my life. Those three messages stick out to me in my life. They changed me and set me in a different direction. But I'm going to tell you what made the difference. Those men of God were not confrontational. They were invitation. The power of God on them and their disposition toward the people they were preaching to made me want what they were preaching about. I mentioned this the other day in a meeting and I asked an evangelist there last weekend, I asked him, I said, Brother Raglan, Tell me one thing. What is our reputation with most people, us Bible-believing Baptists? You know what he said? We're mean. We're hurtful. That ain't us. 
That's not what we're about. Amen. I don't want to be. Listen, there's times to be confrontational. But I'm talking about fighting with God's people. Why should we fight with God's people? Why should I fight with you? I'm saying come. These guys that's always confrontational with God's people and always that has nothing to do with holiness. It has to do with ego. Berating God's people. Putting them down. Driving them away. Tell them guys that come into my church and trespass like that. I say, hey bud, these people paying your offering. You better take it easy. Amen. You listen to me, friend. These men preached about God and His holiness, the power of the Holy Ghost, and the things, my friend, that I needed as a Christian. And their disposition and the power of God in their life made me want it. It drew me. It did not push me away. Holiness is not repulsive. It shouldn't be repulsive to you this morning. This doctrine should be accepted in a church. But you preach on it nowadays and people head for the exits. They've changed God. They've made Him into their own image. Have you ever read Psalm 50, 22? The Lord said, Thou thoughtest, that I was altogether as thyself, they thought God was like them. Oh no, my friend. You don't have the right to define God in your own terms. God is holy. And he said in 1 Peter 1.16, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. God said to be holy because I am holy. We're not trying to be holy, my friend, to make ourselves look good. We embrace holiness because it makes Him look good. We do what we do for the glory of God, not to be seen of men. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves. That's what the Lord said. He began, my friend, the book of Leviticus. I am the Lord God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Amen. <laughs> this didn't originate, it didn't originate in the New Testament. The linkage is clear. This begins in the Old Testament. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen. Leviticus 19, 2, speak unto all the congregation of Israel. Say unto them, ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Amen. On and on. Leviticus 27, sanctify yourself therefore. Why? And be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Did God change? Who changed? I tell you, God help a man that will stand behind this sacred desk and make fun of our standards and convictions of holiness because of who we know. Amen. 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 
our behavior is rooted in who God is. We don't want to offend Him. The key word is for. Be ye holy. For I am holy. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Amen. I'll tell you what we need to be reminded of. That whenever we sin, we're not committing some trivial act. We are doing what God hates. And we're doing what is offensive to him. It's a great grief to him. I'm going to preach on this later, but I'm going to mention it here for the sake of context. Are y'all listening to me? When the Lord went into the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says he was sore amazed. Sore amazed. It says his soul was exceeding sorrowful even unto death. It says his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood. The Bible says he was in an agony. Let me tell you what that is, young man. He went into a garden and looked at a cup that he had to drink, which is indicative of our sin and our judgment. And when he looked at that sin and that judgment that he must drink, Figuratively. It affected him in that manner that I just described with those words. You know what Gethsemane shows us? Gethsemane shows us how holiness suffers in the presence of sin. It's a grief to me. And why should I harbor in my life Something that grieves him. The very thing that caused his stripes. The wounds. The horrible death of crucifixion. The isolation from his father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is not a complaint. That is a question, not a complaint. And our Lord said... He answered his question. He answered his question in verse 3 of Psalm 22. He said, but thou art holy. He answered his question. I tell you, the Son of God, hanging on a cross, being made my sin, he's bearing the guilt of my sin. And in that position, God the Father. That shows you what God thinks about our sin. Are you listening to me this morning? Sin is a great offense to a holy God. Let me tell you something. The Lord had rather his son die than my sins should live. He that spared not his own son. I tell you, Isaac found relief from Abraham's knife. But the Son of God found none in all of God's wrath, God's anger, and all of God's response to sin, man's sin, was all poured out on his Son. Why should I love something that's so contrary? 
for God's nature, and it required such sacrifice for my sin. And think about this for a minute on a more positive note, and I'll be done here in just a second. Think about this. What about how much the Lord's worth? You know, the Bible says, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. Not, you know, not like a little, little Charlie. She's become my buddy. And she wants to sit by me. She wants to sit in my lap. And I like that. I enjoy that. The other day I was playing the instrument and she, I, she couldn't sit in my lap because I'm playing the instrument. So she just took her little hand and she put it over there on my arm. She just wanted to touch me. That's precious, but that's not the way the word precious is used in regards to our Lord. In terms of dignity, value, worth, he's precious. Just think about this. This one man is so valuable in his being, has such respect among the members of the Holy Trinity, that his one solitary life of obedience and his one sacrifice will literally swallow up all of the sins and all the aggravations to God. Man's disobedience, this one man can swallow it all up. And God will accept every man on the basis of what he has done. Man, you're talking about valuable. Think about it. <laughs> Amen. That's how valuable he is. But my friend, listen, God, this, our sins require his death. Holiness. Are y'all listening to me? I know it was Roman soldiers that drove the nails. And their motive was murder. But they didn't take his life. He laid it down of himself. Amen. Amen. He delighted to do the will of God. I delight to do thy will, O God. And God's will was for him to pay the sin debt, to make an atonement, a satisfaction, a pledge, please God, for our sin. And he did. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying the holiness of God demanded death of his son for our sin. I don't know if the Lord will lead me to, allow me to preach on this later, but think about this. Jesus was God, right? And Jesus was man. He was both in one person. His humanity was sacrificed upon the altar of his own deity. Yes. He gave himself. And he did it voluntarily. For what? My sin. We need to cultivate in our hearts the same disposition towards sin God has. Amen. We need Joseph's attitude. This is what Joseph said about Potiphar's house. There's none greater in his house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. Listen, 
how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph knew that sins were against God and it purified him in his daily life to keep him from a very, a very hard situation for a young man. It kept him from it. Be ye holy. What's God's first work in a man? Tell you what it is. It's called conviction. There's somebody right here this morning, God speaking to your heart. There's something going on in you. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. He's drawing you to Himself. He's showing you what you are. You know what conviction is? It's God exposing you to His holiness. And when He exposes you to His holiness, your sins come to light what you are. There's a place today, my friend, that holiness has been vindicated, satisfied, and you can come and be forgiven and have peace with God and begin your walk and your life with Him, <coughs> the life that He'll be pleased with and He'll get glory and honor out of if you just come today. Christian, what's your need? What's our need today? What's going to be my response to this message? Let's bow our heads for prayer. I could go on. There's so many things I could say here. I just don't have to stop. <coughs> Pastor, I'll let you come. Anyone here this morning and doesn't know the Lord is your Savior, wouldn't you love to have your sins forgiven, cleansed, and that load of guilt removed from your heart and your life? Have peace with God. You know why that peace comes when you're saved and God forgives you? The sin is removed. That great barrier between man and sin, man and God is removed. It's called sin. And what's the result? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And not just peace with God, but the peace of God. 